Today we're teaching on who do we share the gospel with. And then the next time that I talk, we're going to be sharing um, how. We're going to get very practical in how to share the gospel. Okay? So um, I'm not going to go back over anything that we talked about the first week because you guys caught it. Hopefully it went deep into your hearts. But we are talking about who. And this is going to be a really different sermon than I've ever done before. But I really felt like it's what the Lord wanted us to do. So basically what we're going to do today is we're simply going to talk about famous evangelists. And essentially anybody that you've ever known that shared the gospel well with somebody and they came to Jesus. We want to look at their lives. We want to put their names on the board and kind of uh, begin to dissect just a little bit how did this happen. And, and why were they uh, in the position that they were? So, McCoby shared with us a little while ago, I can't remember, um, about his trip to Tanzania, which is mind-boggling. How many people came to Jesus? 166,000 people. Oh, my goodness. Chad, would you get me one more? Awesome. Um, thanks, buddy. 166,000 people in how many weeks? Three weeks. That's crazy, okay? What I love about this story is that Makobi is gifted. He has been gifted for, for a long time. Um, and he has been faithful to share the gospel along the way. Many people have come to know Jesus in his life. But in that period of three weeks, something crazy happened. And all of a sudden, with his team, in three weeks' time, 166,000 people decided to follow Jesus. Amen. All right, so... What happened with Makobi the first week was gospel trucks. Makobi shifted his focus and they focused on the, the who. Who were they looking at? They were looking at people who were in the markets, people who were out and about where they could sh roll up in a truck. They could pull down the, uh, like the, the shades of the truck. Thanks, bud. And they could just begin to shout and yell and grab a crowd and then have this miniature crusade right there on the spot. And in one week's time, thousands and thousands of people heard the gospel because they focused on the people in those type markets. And all these people began to come to Jesus and get healed and get saved. And it was amazing. But then the next thing that they focused on, the who that they focused on, week number two was one-on-one -on -one personal evangelism. And so he would scour the streets looking for people to love on and to save. He opened his eyes looking for who God lined up for him. And guess what happened when he began to look for a specific group of people one-on-one? -on -one? People got saved. It was crazy. It was amazing. People got saved as he focused on that group of people. And then the third week, what did he look at? He focused on the schools. And they began to roll up to schools. Uh, look, I'm talking like Nick Goff, roll up. <laughs> okay. Um, he got into my brain. They would pull up. They would drive into a school, an elementary school. And they would knock on the door. And they would ask to preach the gospel. And they would do this six to Ten times a day, every day, multiple schools, and tens of thousands of students heard the gospel and said yes to following Jesus all the days of their life. As they focused on who they were looking for, which that week was the school. I love this example because this is exactly what we're talking about today. They knew who they were going after, and when they put their focus on who they were going after, people got saved. It's amazing, okay? So um, this is going to be a very, like, one plus two equals Jesus or something like that. Okay, very simple. When you focus on who and you go 
then there's salvation. Very simple. All right, so now let's look at a few other evangelists. Reinhard Bunke. How do I spell his last name, McCoubey? Reinhard Bunke. Raise your hand if you've ever heard him preach, like a, a video at least. Okay? So not everybody. Um, if, if McCoby was preaching, I'd ask him to do the voice. <laughs> Africa will be saved! Uh, I can't do it. But Reinhard Bonnke, probably the person in the history of the world who has seen more people say yes to following Jesus than anybody else who ever lived. Okay? Um, Close to 80 million people saying yes to Jesus because of this guy's life. And he focused on who? He said, Africa. Africa will be saved. I'm going to give my life bringing the gospel to Africa. And as he began to focus on Africa, God gave him strategies and ways to bring the gospel to Africa. And Africa was saved by the millions because he focused on who? And then he went, and then there was salvation, okay? Uh, let's look at our church. Our church, um, there was a few years ago where we were very focused on the rescue pillar. Raise your hand if you're with us at Janeway, okay? Awesome. Handful of people were with us at Janeway. So Janeway is a road over here in Moore, close to 27th Street, kind of close to the Highway Shields area. And the Lord had given us a building over there that we were renting. It was the only place we could afford. <laughs> and so we were over at Janeway, and we moved into the area, and the Lord told us, hey, there's an apartment complex right across the street, and I want you to love on those people extremely well, bring the gospel to those people. And we were very focused on the rescue pillar. So there was a period of about a year at least, just solid where we would very consistently choose to focus on this one apartment complex where there were hundreds and hundreds of people. And we would go over there, we would throw parties. We would bring inflatables, we would bring hot dogs and free food, and we would bring music, and we would do fun and games, and then we would preach the gospel. And guess what happened? This is crazy. When we focused on people and we went, what happened, Reese? People got saved. It was crazy. They would get saved. They would get healed. They came to Jesus. Every time that we went out to go to those people and share the gospel, people got saved. It was incredible. Um, there's another time when I was a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor at Antioch. And at the time... Um, the Lord really had us going heavy after salvation and teaching the youth how to be saved. Caitlin was in the youth group back in those days. And so for a, probably a period of six months, we were really heavily focused on seeing people come to know Jesus. And as we began to focus on, let's help you reach your own group of people, we turned our attention to them and then we began to go out. And guess what happened? We'd go to the movie theaters. People would get saved. We'd go to the mall. People would get saved. We'd go to the streets. People would get saved. We'd go to school lunches. People would get saved. Every time we focused on the, the who that God was calling us to, and we went, people would get saved. It's amazing. Keith Wheeler, he was here just last week. I was thinking about this. Nick Goff was teaching us on Monday night. Our discipleship school speakers this year, this is wild. And it didn't dawn on me till Monday night. But at least four of our discipleship school speakers this year have seen the dead raised in the name of Jesus. Like, what? This is crazy. This is so crazy. Keith, I'm going to share this quick story. Keith told us a story where 
he has this weird thing happen where the he'll leave the cross places. Not that it's magical or anything, but just it is powerful. He'll leave the cross places, and the faith inside of people will rise up. And, and at times, in Africa specifically, he can leave the cross. He'll walk miles and miles and miles. He'll leave the cross here because it doesn't fit in the taxi. He'll drive back to the hotel. He'll come back in the morning, and there's a sea of people around the cross, and all of these people have been healed, and they're emptying out the hospitals to bring the sick to the cross, and they're being healed by coming to the cross. He said one time he was carrying the cross around, and there was a woman who he would not claim was dead. But he said, I don't want to say for sure she was dead. But this woman, she wasn't breathing, and she didn't have a pulse, and she was a black woman that her skin was basically white. Now, you can make your own decision how you feel. Uh, I don't want to say that she was dead, but that was the state of the union. No pulse, no breath, and her skin was changed. He left the cross. A couple of her friends wanted him to leave the cross overnight above this woman. So he set the cross over this woman. He went home to the hotel. He came back in the morning, and guess who had cinnamon rolls ready for Keith Wheeler? It's crazy. Keith, when he was young, he said, God, I want to make an impact on the world. I want to love people well. I want them to know of your goodness. And he committed to focus on bringing the gospel to people through carrying the cross. And as he has focused on people and go, he go, go to people, <laughs> he went to people, guess what happens? Tens of thousands of people have come to Jesus because Keith has been faithful to go, to focus, to give up his time, and to go where the Lord called him to go. Nick Goff, he shared a story on Monday night. So Sunday he preaches here. We had a couple meetings that day, so we weren't able to have dinner with him that evening. Sunday night, uh, he and Robin were going on a date night, which they haven't had in quite a while. He was really excited to go on this date night, just her. They're leaving the hotel, and this guy kind of wanders up, and they strike up conversation. Nick has a prophetic word for him, and the guy begins to weep and cry, and he gives his life to Jesus. The Uber pulls up. Nick's uh, like, hey, well, let's jump in. And the guy's like, hey, can I come with you? I was just going to go walk over to Brahms, but can I come with you? And they're like, uh, sure, you can come with us in this. This random stranger uh, jumps in the car with Nick on Monday or Sunday night, and they go to Pub W and they spend the whole dinner pouring into this guy, loving on this guy, teaching him about Jesus and how to follow Jesus all the days of his life, right? And then while they're there, it's like a game to Nick. He loves to get a word of encouragement for the waiters and the waitresses and the cashiers. Like anybody who bumps into, he loves to just throw his neck out there. He has no idea what he's going to say when he says, hey. And as he begins to speak, the Holy Spirit shows up and all of a sudden words start to come out of his mouth. And while he's there, the waitress, she's a Wiccan waitress that does not honor or love the Lord. And she begins to be prophesied over and she's touched powerfully by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Nick has an unbelievable amount of stories of waiters and waitresses coming to know Jesus because he stopped to focus on who, and then he said yes to go, and then, ta-da, salvations. I think you're starting to see why this is a different type of sermon that I've never preached. <laughs> this is all we're doing. <laughs> Leif Hetland. Sorry, Nick Keith. Oh, we got to write them up here. Keith. I think I spelled that wrong. Keith. Uh, Nick. Nick. Who did I just say? Leif. Leif Hetland. He was one of our discipleship school speakers a few weeks ago. 
also seen the dead raised. Um, Leif was a Baptist pastor from Norway. A Norwegian. Hey. Cheers. I can't do it. I just like, can't even come close. But just think of the Frozen movie, the big guy in the hut. You know, like Leif looks nothing like him, but that voice is the same voice. And so Leif is a Baptist pastor. He's frustrated. He feels like he's not seeing much fruit. He wants God to come and do more. The Holy Spirit crashes in one day. Randy Clark is praying over him, has a tremendous encounter with the Holy Spirit. And uh, long story short, he is prophesied over, you're like a bulldozer to go into the darkest places of the world and prepare a pathway for many, many, many people to come to know Jesus. Later on, the Lord puts on his heart Pakistan. And so he goes to Pakistan, one of the hardest Muslim countries in the world to bring the gospel into. And he begins to love people in the name of Jesus. He starts to preach the gospel. He starts to have crusades. And several times in those early days, he was guaranteed, he was positive, I am not coming home. They are about to murder me right now. There's a mob coming my way with guns and clubs and they're screaming at me. This is the end of my life. Jesus, I did what you told me to do. And they would show up, and instead of murdering him, they would say, our friend just got healed miraculously. He couldn't walk. He was a paraplegic, and you said the name Jesus, and now he's all well. Tell us more. <laughs> and then all these people would come to know Jesus. And today he's seen over a million Muslims, specifically in the Pakistan area, come to know Jesus because he heard God say who, and then he said yes, and then, ta-da, there were salvations. Isn't that awesome? Heidi Baker. Who loves Heidi Baker? I love Heidi Baker. And Roland, of course. I don't know why we don't talk about Roland very much, but Heidi and Roland, they're the best. She said yes to God. She said, God, where do you want me to go? And they'd planted several churches in different countries in the world. The Lord called them to Mozambique. She said, yes, God, I'll go to Mozambique. I'll turn my focus. I'll turn my attention to the people of Mozambique. She went there. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. She ends up dry, burnout, tired. She goes to the Toronto revival, gets touched powerfully by the Holy Spirit. She goes back uh, at the revival. The Lord says to her, do you want the nation of Mozambique? I'm giving you the nation of Mozambique. She goes back to Mozambique, and instead of things getting better, things become much worse. The government takes away everything that they had built. They took away their, they had, I believe they had an orphanage at the time. They took it away. They had nothing left. And they're saying, yes, God, here we are. What the heck? <laughs> you just told me the nation of Mozambique, and I get here, and everything is lit on fire, and it burns to pieces, right? Not, not actually. Um, but she stays she stays focused on the people of Mozambique. She continues to love the people of Mozambique one by one by one, praying for them, seeing them healed, seeing them get, get set free and delivered. And today, way over a million people have come to know Jesus. Over 10,000 churches have been planted through her ministry. I, and that was the number that they were talking about back in 2005. <laughs> they quit. I, I haven't heard any updated numbers. I think they just quit. They're like, okay, enough. There's plenty. There's a lot of fruit. Amazing, because she said who, and then she obeyed, and then she went. Carlos and Acondia. Anybody know Carlos? I heard one. Uh, anybody else besides Macoby? Of course, Macoby knows all of them. Um, Carlos and Acondia. So this guy, he was a 
uh, Argentinian pastor, 80s and 90s. They had tremendous revival in Argentina. I actually heard about him when I was in high school. I was a good Baptist kid. I was working at the Family Christian Store, and there was a book on clearance for three dollars. That was that was called. The title of the book was "Listen to Me, Satan," <laughs> and I was like, mm. "Ooh, what is?" What is this? <laughs> I picked it up and I bought it for my $3. I didn't read it for like five years later. But that's the first that I started to hear about him. I read this book. In this book, it's the wildest stories of revival in your lifetime that you've heard of. And he would have these crusades and they would fill stadiums. 50, 60, 70,000 people would show up. And he would preach the gospel. And towards the end of the, of the gospel presentation, he would bind up the devil in people. He would say, listen to me, Satan. You can no longer stay where you are. And he would start to call out all these demons inside of people. And he would say, you start to manifest now. And all these people in these stadiums would skits out, like freak out. And if they began to manifest a demon at the thing, they would come down to the front and they had this huge tent. They'd take them outside and they'd do mass deliverance for thousands of people at a time. There was one story where the Catholic church was boycotting the salvations that were happening. And the head guy from the area, they were doing a parade specifically to block the entrance to the revival and to prevent people from getting inside. And he is, he's got the revival happening inside. The parade walks by. He doesn't even know that they're there. And he says, listen to me, Satan. And all of these people begin to manifest outside in the street in the parade. They all fall out. <laughs> and they have to come outside and do a mass deliverance to the parade, and then all of these people get saved and come to Jesus. <laughs> wild, absolutely wild. Carlos asked God, who, how can I be an impact? Yes, God, I will go, and ta-da, salvations. Amen? Mr. Genner, raise, well, don't raise your hand because I'm not looking at you. But tell me, have you heard this story? Yes or no? Mr. Genner, one person? Oh, I know. More of you have heard of this. Mr. Genner, not Mr. Geno. Mr. Genner, this was, uh, you can Google Mr. Jenner and you can read the story. Basically, this is an old, frail man that loved Jesus with all of his heart. I believe he lived in Australia. And he began to say yes to God. He said, God, I'm getting towards the end of my life. I don't feel like I've had much fruit in my life. I want to have more fruit. Please help me. The Lord says, every day I want you to go down to the street and I want you to pass out 10 gospel tracts to the people that are walking down the street. He had retired to a nice area. It was like, a, like lots of shops all around his area. And so lots of people, like visitors and tourists, were constantly walking by. Every day. For years and years, this old, frail man would walk downstairs outside of his door. He would pull out his gospel track. Somebody would walk by. He'd say, excuse me, sir, if you died today, would you know that for sure you would be in heaven with Jesus? And then they would say no or yes or whatever, and he would hand him a gospel track. I, I, you could Google to see the details of how long he did this, but it was at least a decade. I feel like it was 20 or 30 years that he did this. Not once did anybody ever say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Not once. But every day of his existence till he died, he went out and he passed out 10 gospel tracts on this road. Well, after he 
passed away? I got the story messed up. Maybe while he was still alive. I think it was after he died. Somebody began to, it was a chaplain in the military. He said, hey, how did you come to Jesus? And he's talking to this person. And they're like, oh, it's a crazy story. I was wasted one night, and I was in Australia, and I was blind drunk walking down the road. And this tiny little frail man walks out in front of me, and he puts his hand on my chest. He says, excuse me, sir, if you died tonight, do you know for sure that you would be with Jesus? Blah, blah, blah. And he begins to preach the gospel, and the guy is like, accosted. He's like, what has just happened to me? And the, he gives the uh, gospel tract to this sailor. The sailor walks away and leaves. End of story. But when he got back to the ship, he started to read the gospel tract, and he began to realize that the Lord was real, and he ended up giving his life to Jesus. And so this chaplain begins to ask people, just as a regular thing in his ministry, how did you get to say How did you come to Jesus? And he begins to find all of these stories. Like... <laughs> unbelievable amounts of stories of, well, I was doing so-and-so on this road in Adelaide in Australia, and I was walking down the road, and this little frail guy walks up to me and says, excuse me, sir, and I was accosted with the gospel, and I walked off in frustration and anger, and then later, they, the seed was planted, and they start to come to Jesus. They counted at least 160,000 salvations as a direct correlation of Mr. Ginner saying yes to God to go pass out 10 gospel tracts a day for decades in his area. And that's only the random ones that the Lord allowed them to bump into, right? Okay, who else? Oh, technology. Jesus people movement. Back in the 60s and 70s, anybody a part of the Jesus People movement back in the day? My mother-in-law was. That was cool. Um, back in the day, Jesus People movement, hundreds of thousands of people coming to Jesus, serving him, saying yes to him. Because a group of people began to focus on who they said yes, and then salvations consistently began to happen. Oral Roberts and all of the healing revivalists from the 70s and 60s. Hundreds of thousands of salvations because they focused on who and then people began to know Jesus. John G. Lake, my daughter Callie, her, her name is Callie Lake. Lake was in the early 1900s. He said yes to God. God called him to Africa, to South Africa specifically to plant churches. In a period of five years, they planted over 500 churches and they saw tremendous healing and salvation, all sorts of crazy stuff, because he said yes to God. He went, and then salvations began to happen. John Wesley, Charles Finney, D.L. Moody, the Moravians, literally anybody that you've ever heard of that has seen people come to know Jesus, this step was involved. They stopped. They said, God, who do you want me to talk to? They focused on that person, and then salvation happened. Literally, if you go back to Jesus' day, even the apostles, Paul, he stopped. He focused on the Gentiles. He knew he was called to go to the Gentiles. So then he began to go to where those people were, preach the gospel, and he created the church of Jesus Christ out of the Gentile world. 
Peter stayed with the Jews. Same thing. He focused on them. He built up the first church in Jerusalem. Jesus himself did the same pattern consistently. He'd be walking along, and he would see Matthew, the tax collector. He would stop. He would focus, and he would go out of his way to go and draw this person in. Zacchaeus, he's walking down a crowded street. Zacchaeus is in the tree, kind of hiding from Jesus, if you will, just so he can get a, a, get a glimpse. He didn't want to be on the front row. He didn't want to be right in front of everybody, but he wanted to observe from afar, and he was too short to be able to see and Jesus sees him up in the tree Jesus focused on Zacchaeus he said hey it's your time buddy it's time to come to know me and he had a party at his house that night Zacchaeus's life has changed completely in that in that night Peter Mary literally any of the people in the Bible there was this component at play who they focused on who and then they went and then people got saved Matthew 18 Verses 10 through 14. This is the story of the lost sheep. And in this story, Jesus communicates that a shepherd, a good shepherd, is going to look after his whole flock. But if there's a hundred sheep and one of them runs off, the shepherd will leave the 99 and he will go chase down the one to find the one. There's a moment of focusing the attention to the one who is far away. The crowd is good. The crowd is fine. The crowd is healthy and safe. But you have to turn and focus on the one to go after it, to purposely go and find it and bring it back into the crowd. This is what Jesus wanted us to do. So as we think about sharing the gospel with people, all I'm trying to get you to do today is to begin to ask Jesus, who do you want me to go after? Who do you want me to be called to? Who do you want me to turn my focus on? Because when you look at the crowd, there's generally not much salvation happening. But when you turn your focus to the one, significant things begin to happen. Let me write this. If you're saying to God, God, I'll go and share with anybody you want me to share with. God, whoever you want me to minister to, I will minister, whoever. But unfortunately, the way that our society works, the way that our minds work, whoever typically will mean never. So it's not enough for you as a believer to be like, yes, God, all these reasons to share the gospel at your heart. Yes, okay, whoever you want. And then week after week after week after week after week after week after week, never, 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 never. But I can almost guarantee you, if you will stop and get specific about who. So let's get rid of, let's get rid of this. If you will stop and focus on who, you're going to start to see salvations consistently wherever you go. This is, I'm like a thousand percent guilty here. God, anybody you want me to go for. And not nearly as many people come to Jesus as they should because I'm focused on all. Okay? What I love about Nick is he just years ago, Nick Goff, he said, okay. That's our, that's our thing, you and me, God. Every time I have a waiter or waitress, I'm going for it. I'm sticking my neck out there, and we're just going to see what happens. And guess what happens? All these people come to know Jesus. All these people get saved because he's focused on who he wants to go after. 
So once you have an idea of who, then you can begin to dream about how you're going to reach out to them. And the next time that I share, we're going to be sharing specifically how do you practice sharing the gospel? How do you actually do it? What words do you actually say? We're going to get really tangible. I'm going to give you some tips and ideas of how to communicate the gospel in those settings. But we're not doing that until we understand who we're focused on. So that's what I'm encouraging you today to do, is begin to ask God, who do you want me to focus on? Maybe it's your next door neighbor. Maybe it is a coworker. Maybe it's single moms. Maybe it's foreign exchange students. Maybe it's children. Maybe it is waiters and waitresses. Maybe it's the poor. Maybe it's the homeless at the homeless shelter. Maybe it's the people standing at the curbs every time you drive by a curb. Maybe it's the jobless. Maybe it's business people. Like, it doesn't really matter that much, but you got to focus on one to be able to get going after the one. You with me? So here's a few tips, three steps to deciding and dreaming about who. First step is to open your heart and begin to desire a calling of who God wants you to go after. Step one is open your heart and ask, like desire, God, please. I want an impact on the earth. I want to advance the kingdom. I want to help people know you who are far from you. So God, give me a direction. Give me somewhere to focus on who do you want me to go after. Step two, begin to talk to God about what he thinks about who. So number one, you're creating that desire. Number two, you're discussing with God. And I want you to share your fears, share your concerns. Um, Really express to him how you feel inadequate to do those things. I think it's really interesting that Leif, why didn't he see a million souls come to Jesus in his hometown or in his own country, right? In, in Reinhard Bonnke. And like, there's so much of the calling of God on people that is not necessarily just the people that you currently know. Like the who that God calls you to very well may be outside of your comfort zone and it may be people that you've never seen or never met before and you've never connected with. And that's okay, because God can use that. God can do, obviously, tremendous things when you get outside of your own comfort zone. So talk to God about your inadequacies, your fears, your concerns, and then let him talk to you back about those things and speak to you what he sees and what he thinks about all those things. And then the third thing is to pray into who um, that God gives you. So start doing the spiritual work praying in, investing in to the lost sheep, if you will, that God has called you to go after. God, please, open a door. Soften the hearts. Prepare the way. Go before me. The next time I see somebody on the curb when I'm driving by, God, let let the stoplight line up perfectly so that when I pull up, it's the only option I have but to roll the window down and start loving people for you, right? Like, start praying into the scenarios, praying into the heart, softening the ground in the spirit realm so that you can begin to see even more fruit. When God speaks to you about who, it's fairly likely that it's going to be a faint whisper, that his voice is going to be a small little voice that just kind of like quietly encourages you. You're like, God, okay, I want to change the world. Who do you go after? It's not going to, most likely, sometimes maybe, but most likely it's not going to be like, go after the football player. (laughs) Probably not. 
It's likely to be a quiet whisper. A little thought pops in your mind, drops in your mind, and you have the choice at that moment to pay attention to the Lord or to completely discard it as if it was made up in your mind. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13, Elijah was trying to hear from God. God called him to go up onto the mountain in the wilderness. God told him to stand in front of the mountain, and God passed by in a tornado. God passed by in a, well, a strong wind is what it says, but the wind tore apart the rocks. Well, make up your mind. Um, an earthquake in a wildfire, and God's voice was not in any of the strong, powerful things. After all those things, there was a still, small voice. Other scriptures call it a whisper. God whispered to Elijah. Amen. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Jesus said, all authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. None of us in the room today are exempt this commandment from Jesus, it didn't skip over any one of us. Each of you is called by God to have an impact on the earth. Each of you is called by God to share his goodness. Each of you is called to make disciples and to teach people what Jesus said. Every single person in the room. And so that means that God has a still small voice for each and every single person in the room to tell you who to focus on. And I genuinely believe if you'll take the time to ask God who, then you'll begin to have the guts and the strategy to step out, and then you're going to see salvations. Amen? So stand up with me. I'm going to pray over you guys. <clears throat> Father, I bless each person in the room, each person listening. I bless them in the name of Jesus. And God, I'm asking that you would begin to drop things in their spirits that they would hear who you want them to pursue. Who are the lost sheep that you've called them to? Where can they have a, a significant impact in people's lives? Would you begin to put pictures in their minds? Begin to drop things in their spirits. Begin to encourage them with the lost sheep that you want them to go after. And then give them strategy and clarity of how to reach out to those people and to love those people. God, I'm asking that each of us, myself included, would be radical obeyers of your voice, of that quiet, still, small voice. That we would say yes to the call of God to make disciples, to help people understand your goodness and your love, and to follow you all the days of your life.